Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and today we kick off our five-part series of back-to-school podcasts. Joining me to discuss what is BioCentury's signature annual issue are... Simon Fishburn, Editor-in-Chief. Steve Osden, Washington Editor. Selena Koch, Executive Editor. Well, back to school. What is it? We've been doing it every year since Karen Bernstein and Dave Flores founded BioCentury three decades ago. Back to school is a forward-looking package that looks at a topic of broad relevance across the biopharma ecosystem. So whether you're a member of the C-suite, an investor, a regulator, a BD wizard, a payer, essentially anyone in industry, we think there's something here for you. The 2022 Back to School, it's BioCentury's 30th, focuses on talent. We begin publishing our analysis, which is based on more than 80 interviews, roughly halfway split between executives and VCs and people working their way up the ladder and our big talent survey of more than 600 folks across the next five days on biocentury.com. And then we wrap up the whole package in a tidy PDF, if you're liking the old school formats. So let's get to it. Simone, why talent? Jeff, you and I have been doing this long enough that we love, you know that we love all of our back to school topics equally, just as we do our children just as everybody does their drug development projects. But this is a sort of special back to school as far as I'm concerned. And the reason for that is that it really relates and touches on every person in the biopharma ecosystem. For the first time, our scope has included people up and down the chain in biopharma, meaning at all levels from entry level and people coming into the industry, working their way up, and of course, all the way up to the C-suite. And the reason talent is so important is that there's been this explosion in new companies, and that's made it difficult to find management talent. And that's been a lot on people's minds, because there haven't just been enough people with experience to run these companies. And at the same time, there's been a backdrop, obviously, of a completely new workplace and workforce coming out of the pandemic. So now there's a hybrid workplace and the C-suite is trying to figure out how to handle it. So we talked to them, executives, I can tell you they are up at night trying to work out how to manage and create culture in this new workplace. At the same time, they are up at night figuring out how to survive the downturn in the markets, prepare for the spring and what's the workforce I need, you know, that they need to do that. So yeah, I guess executives are not getting a lot of sleep is one thing we could say. <laughs> Maybe they will do after this back to school. So the point is you have these various converging drivers and these are causing tectonic changes in the talent landscape. People have to figure out how to get through the next two years and plant the seeds for the next two decades. At the same time, I want us to remember we have a workforce whose relationship with management has changed. They're making their own decisions about what kind of companies they want to join what matters to them, and how they want to conduct their careers and rise to the top. So this has been an incredibly interesting topic for us. And one of the ways that we approached it, as you know, is through interviews. 
and the other is through our industry survey. Yeah, let's bring in Selena here now. Selena worked very closely with the survey. What is one theme that stands out? Ooh, there are so many to choose from. Um, one thing that I think crosses most, if not all, of the articles in the package is that companies could really benefit from broadening the set of potential candidates they look at. At the earliest end of the spectrum, that might mean attracting new entrants to the industry by forming ties with universities that are outside of the major hubs, for example, or creating a channel for data scientists to enter biotech versus taking their skills elsewhere. You know, and then at the highest levels of management, that can mean finding ways to look outside of the team's immediate network, which everybody relies so heavily on their networks, and even to other industries if they really want to bring in some fresh ideas and, and diversity of thought. Simone, I know you talked to a lot of people about this. What are you hearing um, from, say, from VCs? Well, it's actually very interesting. I talked to quite a lot of people. You're absolutely right. First of all, they are thinking that the executive team, and we'll talk about this more in the next few days, needs to have a different kind of makeup. And, and that means industry needs to think about different kinds of talent. But the other question I've been asking people is whether biopharma is too insular as an industry. It's quite an esoteric space. We have our own language. People don't really know what we're talking about. I think, I think during the pandemic, people understood a little bit more about the industry and what it does. But on the whole, we're pretty insular and it, it's hard to break in. And so there are sort of different perspectives on this. One person I spoke to is Andy Plump. Andy Plump is the head of R&D at Takeda. He said that they brought into their data science group at a very, very high level, one leader from banking and one leader, this is called, from the NSA. Okay, so I don't think we get that many people from the NSA coming into our industry. And he said the banking person just had a very different and healthy way of putting a different perspective on how they look at data. And the NSA person, not only data, but also like project management at a completely different level. So I thought that was a very interesting way that people are starting to think about how ties with other industries can open the door to specific positions and also things that we can learn from them. So another big theme across multiple stories in our package are the benefits and difficulties of hiring a first-time CEO and how best to support a first-time CEO once they're in the job. Some of the survey data, I think, underscores one of the difficulties of making this transition, which is that new CEOs often need to stop doing the things that made them successful in the first place. For example, when we ask people, you know, what makes a good CEO? building a good team and, and engaging that team ranked much higher than bringing domain expertise to bear, for example. Right. And I think there's also sort of a fair amount of data that we're getting on first-time CEOs. We know that for many first-time CEOs have, as you point out, they might have a lot of domain expertise, but they haven't spent a lot of time running businesses before by definition. And some of them have like jumped in even straight from academia or from somewhere else. And so what we're finding is VCs, as they, as they create teams with first-time VCs, they are leaning quite heavily on sort of support structures around them. The role of the executive chair becomes particularly important. And I know Stephen Hansen is going to talk about this on one of the podcasts this week. I think another 
part of this is even beyond the first-time CEOs is building these management teams where we're requiring less experience than than is traditionally used or, or, or needed. And we have one quote from Rachel Myers, a CSO at Phase Medicine, saying, if we wait for people to check all the boxes, we're waiting too long. We need to take chances on people who haven't held the role before. So I think that sort of echoes a lot of what we're hearing about embracing risk in a different way and risk regarding talent. And the talent that people hire will also bring new things that, I don't know, maybe the old guard or the incumbent ones would think of as risky, but this sort of emerging generation of leaders, maybe they're more fluent in data and they're more comfortable in that area. And, you know, they don't see the same kind of risk involved in certain approaches. Certainly, I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of a change here. Well, speaking of change in industry, I think one thing that we do touch on quite a bit, Selena, that I'd love to just hear your thoughts on is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I think the survey data overall were positive on the topic of DEI with most survey respondents giving high marks, saying that companies are prioritizing DEI and particularly the pharmas. So pharmas uh, may have ranked lower on other metrics throughout the survey, but this is one area where they seem to shine. Pharma people are certainly going to be pleased to hear that because I know that they sort of put a lot of effort in and I don't think anybody suggests it's game over. But on that count, I think there's also what I consider good news. And we will talk about this again during the week, but we, not as part of the survey, but as a separate piece of back to school, we actually identified over 400 women CEOs of biotechs and looked at the demographics of the profile of that. Thought it was really interesting. I mean, over 50% of these women CEOs were founders of their company and 72% of them going back to the first time CEOs, 72% of them were first time CEOs. Now, I will say that only a minority of the companies that disclosed a chair, like about 10% or something like that, had a female chair. So women are not doing so well on the chair of the board front. And I don't know what proportion of overall biotechs this 400 is, because everybody's got their own number of how many biotechs there are out there. But I, I do think that there is momentum. Another theme that's come up is networks and peer networking. And one thing that was interesting to me is the degree to which peer-to-peer networking among women is really actually helping to increase the numbers in the C-suite. So I know Steve's going to have a vignette. I don't really have a vignette for you, but I've got some perspectives. Earlier in this year, around July, I spoke to Matai Mammon, who at that time was global head of R&D at J&J, and he's very very gung-ho about data and the importance of data and data science. I mean, he thinks that in 10 years' time, there are going to be more leaders in biotech that have data science roots than have biology roots. So I thought that was a pretty bold statement from him. I mean, he's not the only one that thinks that. There's clearly a shift towards data, and that's you know coming out through these sort of conversations that we're having not specifically in the survey, but in how people are thinking about what future leaders are going to look like. Well, let's let's bring in Steve now. Steve, you obviously uh, spoke to Richard Pazder, other folks. 
at different regulatory agencies. You'll be talking a bit about regulatory issues in Africa, in developing countries. Is there a vignette that helps set the stage for your two stories, Steve? So one of the things that isn't really new to anybody who's been following FDA for some time is that their HR systems have generally been completely FUBAR for a very long time. Actually, going back to the first Bush administration, when Tommy Thompson had what he thought was the bright idea to create a centralized HR department for all of the HHS agencies. That would be for FDA, for CMS, for NIH, for a variety of other agencies. And what happened is that uh, it was about as successful as uh, Goss Plan was in the Soviet Union. It was a complete mess. So I heard a lot of interesting kind of horror stories about what happened at FDA, for example. Uh, one of the stories that I heard was that the HR people kicked out a couple of people who were trying to apply for jobs as uh, medical reviewers at FDA because they said that they had graduated from foreign universities. When in fact, they graduated from U.S. medical schools. And when senior officials at FDA asked the HR department why they believed that these people had graduated from foreign universities, they were told it was because the diplomas that they had submitted were in a foreign language. And it turned out that that foreign language was Latin. There, there was another um, anecdote, kind of horror story, that senior people at FDA talk about, which is that applicants have been rejected for positions in the uh, office of the chief counsel because their resumes listed their most recent jobs as having been clerks for federal judges. And the um, HR people said that obviously anybody who'd been a clerk isn't qualified to work in the office of the chief counsel of the FDA. And they didn't realize, of course, that being a clerk to a federal judge is one of the most prestigious positions that uh, somebody can get coming out of law school. <laughs> indeed, indeed it is. Well, thanks for that, Steve. Thanks, Selena and Simone. We are publishing the various components of Back to School beginning today, and we'll continue publishing Back to School each day through Friday at biocentury.com. Each day, we'll also bring you a podcast that drills into specific aspects of the package. Joining Simone, Selena, Steve, and me, we'll have Executive Director Lauren Martz. She will dig into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Senior Editor Karen Takach-Tuzman will be looking at and discussing newcomers to industry, job seekers. Associate Editor Stephen Hansen, our man in the UK, spoke to his fair share of VCs, and he'll be discussing his story. Uh, he'll also be discussing compensation. And while she won't be joining us on the podcast, I do need to give a shout out to our research director, Meredith Durkin-Wolf. Without her, there would be no back to school this year. On our next back to school pod tomorrow, we will head to the C-suite. We will discuss this crop of women executives that Simone touched on and diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. You can also find them on our website, biocentury.com. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals 
and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. <laughs> 